0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We have got all kinds of great stuff. Just tune in right now. Of course, Mitch Berliner and and Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets will be with us uh, to talk about what's happening at the markets uh, this weekend. Have you heard of blood, sweat, and tear vodka? Umberto Lucchini, one of my favorite people because he's Italian, he's the founder (laughs) and proprietor of Wolf Spirit. You're so easy. I am easy. And he's, he's, he's located in Eugene, Oregon. And I actually dated a girl from Eugene, Oregon. So there are many connections here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's on with Van uh, Vankovic, who is uh, the chair of the Illinois State Bar Association's animal law section. Lady, did I pronounce your name right?
2: You did. And actually, I'm senior legislative attorney with best
0: friends. Um, well, that the, too. Yeah. Okay, I was going to get to that. Every, <laughs> everybody wants my job. I was um,
3: going
0: to say. <laughs> but we'll be talking to Lidi and Umberto shortly um, about their partnership and, of course, about Umberto's vodka. Uh, Julie Banks, blank, sorry, is co founder of Cooler Supply. They've got a turnkey solution that redefines how to show your staff appreciation uh, during the holiday season. We'll talk about that. And Rob Bildner and uh, uh, Elisa Builder, his wife, I can't even, I did, Bildner, uh, are authors of Berkshire Farm Table, which just yesterday, Won the New England Cookbook of the Year, and they're out in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts, and they've got a great gig going. We're going to be talking to them. And then Joey, and this is a tough one, Jurgowitz is the, called the Duck Guy, and he makes, uh, he raises Pekin ducks and provides them to all the major uh, restaurants uh, up and down the East Coast. We'll be talking to him as well. First, we're going to go to Deb Moser. I guess Mitch is not with you today, right? He is actually at the market. Good. That means we'll get something accomplished. So. Tell us.
1: How are you? (laughs) I am great. I am great. How are you guys? Good. good. It's a gorgeous weekend. Tell us what's happening at the market. How can people start getting prepared for the holidays? Oh, my gosh. This is a perfect weekend to go
4: out. We've got 61 degrees at the markets, who thought, in December. I know. Uh, Sometimes I think somebody up above is giving us little presents here and there that we Don't have to be locked in the house so much.
0: Yeah, it's called uh, global warming.
1: Okay, okay. Um, Go
4: ahead. (laughs)
5: Another (laughs) subject, another
4: subject. (laughs) But uh, we're we're really having really great turnouts at the markets. Um, We have everything that you need for all your meals. We still have lots of greens, tomatoes, um, beautiful leeks, chickens, eggs, ducks.
1: Um, you Go back know. a sec. I mean, it is December, and you know, we've all sort of, especially on the East Coast, have been raised, when it comes to tomatoes, you eat summer tomatoes, and whatever those other tomatoes are, you don't eat them. So what is, how are these tomatoes here? Are they still delicious? How are they gracing your holiday table this year?
4: Well, you know, they are delicious, and we have a lot of farmers, and this is when we say, support your local farmers, this is why because they have taken the, the money that they've earned, that you have supported them with, and they built greenhouses. And they built some greenhouses. Some of our farmers have some amazing greenhouses with uh, biodiverse systems in them that feed back the energy and they're using plant material. So it's complicated, but they're then able to bring you tomatoes and cucumbers and lettuces we have hydroponic lettuce being sold at the market this winter. So you can get all of those good nutritious things that you've been craving for, and you don't have to wait until the spring.
1: Well, that's really good to know. And as we're getting ready for the holidays, um, I know you have, uh, you know, farmers who produce chickens and beef and et cetera. Um, tell me, uh, you know, who we should be looking to and connecting with to make sure that we have all those things for those who celebrate Christmas and don't forget new year's is coming. And if you're probably not going out for new year's this year, cause everything's so different. Um, what should we be looking for?
4: So, um, you can go, we, we love Springfield farm. Um, they have turkeys, they have chickens, they have duck. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, we, we just made duck breast last night. We love that. Um, and so the eggs, the eggs will slow down a little bit in the winter, but you can still get plenty of good eggs. We love Painted Hand Farm. She raises her eggs sustainably and her chickens, you know, she's always kind of, come on, chicken, lay those eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has things like goat. She has uh, a lot of lamb. Um, she does um, stocks, wonderful stocks. So if you're making that winter soup, you want to check out all the, all the farmers and all the good things that they have.
1: So, Deb, tell everybody, because with the pandemic, you guys are super COVID aware and safe. What is the best way to order things and get delivery or come to the market? What's the best way to do things?
4: Sure. So you can come to the market and shop normally. You mm-hmm. can order from your vendor directly online. And we will, if you don't want to come into the market, we will load it uh, a contact touchless into your car. Or you can order from our home. Delivery system farm to fridge. Um, Mm -hmm. that's open Monday through Thursday, and then you can get delivery on Sunday direct to your house. And we have some wonderful vendors on there prepared meals, greens, you name it.
0: All right, thanks, Deb. All right, all right, thank
4: you. you. Have a good week. See you next week. Bye.
0: Bye. All right, so let's talk to Umberto Lucchini, who is the
1: vodka.
4: Yes,
0: I want to know how did the guy from Via Reggio. In Toscana, end up in Oregon making vodka. Did your family throw you out of Italy?
1: <laughs>
6: yeah, well yeah? Th- there's definitely there's always a bit of that. A little bit of that, okay. <laughs>
1: That's another story.
0: That's what happened to me. They threw me out of America to Italy. So <laughs> tell us tell us how you ended up making vodka.
6: Could, could be worse. So now uh, <laughs> no, I, I I left um I left actually I left home. Straight after, uh, straight after school, high school, and uh, went traveled a bit the world, and tried studied in England, and then worked worked a bit all over Europe, and uh, and then I joined a a liquor, an Italian liquor company that decided that at the time was relatively small, and decided to send a, a a relatively young, single Italian guy to to the U.S. to um to handle Italian bitters. In, that doesn't in the, sound
1: of interest at all. That doesn't sound like that was a bad idea.
6: No, well, you know, American, Americans have a have a sweet tooth, so try to sell them bitter Italian bitter liqueurs wasn't necessarily the easiest thing, but right. it turned out to be obviously a life-changing experience. I, uh, I moved here 17 years ago, and I uh, became a U.S. citizen and uh, embraced the country. And, uh, and and from there kind of had a career in liquor um, that three years ago I decided to leave the corporate world and try my own adventure and I started my own vodka business with a with a friend of mine and two friends of mine one who is now actually our, our distiller and um, in in Eugene Oregon mainly because the Pacific Northwest has a character and uh, a a soul that is uh, quite unique. Uh, It really represents the the makers of the world, the people who go out there, roll up their sleeves, and despite the wet weather, the cold, the grimness, they get stuff done. My god, you're a
0: uh, a a poet. Well, wait a minute.
1: Vodka. I mean, there's so much vodka out there. So since you've been in the liquor business for so long, Why, what did you want to do with your vodka? I mean, don't get me wrong. The bottle is fabulous. It looked great. But what were you looking to do?
6: We were trying. uh, So the reason why we did vodka is two. And one is a very, very concrete and honest, transparent reason. It is, it's the core of liquor in the end. Yeah, of course. I mean, it is profitable, but believe me, right now, (laughs) we're not, we're not. The swimming in cash, but uh, it, it, it is it is the core of the spirit. If you, you it, it's it's a naked spirit. You can't cheat in vodka. You, you with all the other spirits, you can play with barrels, aging, weather, and so on. Vodka, I mean, you have a core ingredient it's distilled, and that's it. You have to
0: well, you have to I, play with it. I like the the name blood, sweat, and tear. It's a very blue collar kind of approach to this. And it, you already you know mentioned how you want to sort of, sort of do. You wanted to do an homage all the hard-working people in the Pacific Northwest. But I got to ask you something about the dog, Mr. Pickles, who's on the on the label. Because there's a very yeah, famous yeah. Mr. Pickles in... Um, Kingsman. Kingsman. Is, that, is, is he named after the Kingsman? Or is he just yeah. Mr. Pickles?
6: Yeah, you know, it, it, is, it is true. And he's the one running the show, to be honest. But um, yeah, Mr. Pickles became crucial to the whole adventure because one of my partners, uh, Ben Green, who's now the distiller... He he had that. He was in that moment of life where he was trying to look for something um, meaningful in his life, and the double combination came. He 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 got an opportunity with us to to learn how to do something and produce vodka, and then in parallel he uh, adopted a a a a dog and uh, Mr. Pickles, and he called it yes exactly as you as you understood. Mr. pickles and 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 honestly it was um, it, it was life-changing for him. and I have to say uh, I very little anecdote, but when I was seven I, I was ag- aggressed or, or attacked by a, a German shepherd back in the days by my uncle's dog at the time. So I spent more than ten years in my life that I was terrified. just the, just hearing a dog was for me uh, a terrifying experience. so, the idea of, of having as a as a as a boss and as a partner uh, a pit bull, uh, my family thought I was crazy, but it actually turned out to be my second best friend.
0: Well, that's great. I was going to invite you to visit us here in Washington, but we have four hundred pounds of dogs sitting behind me, so <laughs> probably a bad idea, or maybe a good because idea.
1: They're so, not German Shepherds. But let's not bring, but <laughs> let's,
0: lady, let's bring you in because you okay. guys have created a very unique partnership. Um, Umberto, we're gonna we'll switch over and, lady, tell us about the organization and and about your whole background with loving these dogs.
2: Yeah, sure. Best Friends Animal Society uh, was founded in 1984. um, As some scrappy friends got together and started an animal sanctuary in the desert of Utah, right by Zion National Park. Um, It's beautiful there. Uh, We have more than 3,000 acres, um, about 1,800 animals um, at the sanctuary, and our goal is to try to get the nation um, to no kill by 2025. And as you know, um, pit bulls have a bad rap. You know, they are kind of a working class dog, like blood, sweat, and tears vodka. (laughs) You know, so basically, they um, we focus trying to stop breed discrimination. By cities, by insurance companies, by landlords. Because a lot of you know, these dogs are, you know, every dog is an individual. They're wonderful. Yeah. And um, There are no they,
0: bad dogs, just bad people. That's
2: exactly the there are there are reckless owners that shouldn't own a pet, you know, or probably have kids. <laughs> you,
0: know I mean? you, know, you know, this know? is a this is a commercial for a dog who has gone to her reward, but we had a pit mix who could climb trees.
2: Oh, that's amazing. Did
0: you not? Am I lying, Nikki? For no. once. No, for, for once she holds me up and supports me. Good. Um, but so what? But you know me- what,
1: David? We have to take a quick break. So why don't we do that? And then we'll come back and we'll talk about the partnership and how the two of them are working together. I don't okay? want to take a
0: break. I like well, this.
1: We're going to take a break. All this right. Is David and Nikki Nellis were on Foodie and the Beast. We're talking about some favorite things. We're talking about Italians. We're talking about vodka. And we're talking about an amazing charity for dogs. We'll be back in just a sec.
0: So we're back on Foodie and the Beast, and um, we're, we're, we're talking pit bulls, actually. Which, and vodka. Which a, pit and bulls vodka and, and, vodka. And, and, and vodka. And Italia. But, uh, but Lidi, you, you received the ABA's Excellence in Animal Law Award uh, back in 2014, so you clearly are a crusader. You're the Joan of Arc of pit bulls. So, <laughs> sort of. So, sort of. I mean, Where does all this come from in you?
2: Um, Again, from a dog I had when I was four years old, his, um, you know, my Lithuanian grandmother found a stray puppy and my dad let me bring him home. And um, his name was Booty.
0: And Booty and I Mm -hmm. went. uh, Was that before Booty was Booty? I guess it was. Exactly. Well,
2: it's a B-O-O-D-Y. You know, I got him around Halloween.
0: Yeah, we believe you.
2: (laughs) So anyway. So, yeah, it was great. It was great. But um, just like Mr. Pickles of Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Vodka, um, you know, he he was my you know my partner. He roamed the woods with me.
0: And well, so, so but so how do best friends, Animal Society, and Booty's Memory come come together with Umberto and Blood, Sweat, and Tear Vodka? Yes, how do you benefit? Try.
1: How do you guys work together? So um, Umberto, you want to? Do you want to
0: take
6: I, it? Yes. Yeah, of course. So we um. Last year, when we launched uh, the the brand nationally, last year we were looking for a meaningful partner uh, that could give Ben also a, a bigger scope and the business a, a bigger scope and and help. In the end, Ben's mission was to help a, a, a rescue dog that helped him, and we wanted to give back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and then we we searched and and we really liked one the name. I mean, best friends is is. I mean, it opens up a smile instantly. And mm-hmm. second, their mission literally felt totally aligned with ours. And their fat, their appreciation of pit bulls specifically, which are the misfits, just like we are at Blood, Sweat and Tears, they are the misfits the misinterpreted in, in the industry, sorry, in, in the animal world. We, we thought this is a great opportunity.
0: Well, so a share of proceeds from the sale of, of the vodka obviously goes to benefit best friends. Let's talk about where you can find the vodka here in the DC area because- uh, uh, Of course. Yeah.
6: I've got so we of- we are we we are in a, in a few uh, a lot of accounts in DC area Crown Liquors uh, Cai- Cairo Liquor Store and Pan Mar to give you a few then we uh, you go on our website we have a store locator you can definitely see the right the one as closest well,
1: can to you. give you. us your website I think giving us your website because you don't just do vodka but today is it's what we were talking about but if you could give us your website so people could check out the other. Uh, things that distillery is doing because you have a great story to share.
6: Sure, absolutely. The, the specific vodka is bstvodka.com. That's the website for, for the vodka. And then uh, you go at wolfspiritdistillery.com and you will see all the other products. We have another vodka imported from Finland and a, we just launched a Kentucky straight bourbon. So. Excellent.
1: Okay, great. And how do we, if we want to donate beyond just buying the vodka, how do we get to Best Friends Animal Society? Bestfriends.org. Um, Super easy.
6: Catchy. Easy, <laughs> easy peasy. And, <laughs> and you, if you if you are on our website, there's immediately on the homepage there's a a donate button that <laughs> takes you to the Best Friends Society to donate directly. With oh. and, uh, and do that, please.
0: All right. Well. Um, Umberto, the only other question I have for you is when are you getting a puppy?
6: Well, soon enough. Soon you're enough. on the spot, just... pal.
0: You're on the spot.
1: We want to thank you both for joining us this morning. Um, you, what you're both doing is amazing. We love partnerships that really help uh, dogs in need, obviously, sometimes people in need, and then a great product to boot. So thank you both for joining us this morning.
6: Bye.
1: Okay, great. Thank you.
0: So, we're going to move off of talking about vodka and pit bulls and talk to June Blank. She's a co founder and head of product for Cooler Supply. Now, uh, that's a pretty cool idea. It's a turnkey solutions solution that lets you show your staff appreciation and boost morale in the middle of this COVID madness. Um, I've got a staff of six people, and I've been, you know, actually, I've I, i got to come up with something for the holidays, so this could be it, June. But, you know, say hello and give us your background, a little 411 on you and how Cooler Supply came to be.
7: Nice, thank you. Um, so Cooler Supply came to be a couple of things colliding. One, I own a coffee company in D.C. called Junius Coffee. We work with a lot of tech companies and large offices who really show a lot of really great support for their staff through strong employee perks programs inside of the offices. And as the pandemic started, and you know, we really started to n- understand that people were feeling separated from their colleagues, weren't going to the office anymore. There's a key piece of, commu- of, of corporate culture that kind of went missing. Uh-huh. And in that, was where I understood there was an opportunity for staff to feel supported through creating something that eventually in concept became cooler. And the notion of cooler as a product is that it's cooler like the water cooler, only cooler. And the purpose of our boxes, which companies can send to their employees at home, is that we are delivering A shared experience for staff who are now not having that in the office. Mm -hmm. So as you might have passed someone in the hallway in the office and you had these random moments and things that really build up what culture has become in a workspace, which is really a third place, we're taking this opportunity to deliver that experience to people now that they're at home. So what we're really trying to do for staff is give them this physical shared experience where they're encouraged to enjoy something from the box to connect with their colleagues to kind of prompt them how to connect with their peers and you know just really deliver joy but
1: how are you doing that because you know since we're all like we we used to do a live radio show in studio with our producer Andy and you would come in normally with your products and we'd be tasting and and, and eating and drinking, and now we're looking at each other through a Zoom-like platform. So how do, you, how do you make that feeling come to be and what's in these boxes?
7: Absolutely. So really the crux of how we developed this as a product was thinking about what does create experience for people. So inside of each box, you find something like a really stellar coffee that can be made that you can actually hop on a call and enjoy a coffee with someone. And not in a way that's, that's um, you know, forced, but just taking a moment to be social with someone who used to sit next to you or somebody that maybe you would only run into randomly through the office and isn't someone that you work with on a daily basis anymore.
0: Or to be friends with somebody you can't stand. Let's be honest. <laughs>
7: <laughs> no, but I think there is, I mean,
1: listen, I work out of the house and have for almost 20 years, uh, no, for twenty years, but you know, I do understand having been in an office, an office culture, and that is totally and completely taken away at the moment, right? like there's no there's no way to to engage with people by just walking by them, you know, and being like, "Oh, how was your weekend? like the casualness of an office is off the table
7: right so the the notion here is that we're really getting something physical into people's hands. This experience uh, is really, we are physically divided and we're having more and more conversations over Zoom or over the phone. And that just isn't quite the same as sharing a physical experience and having that. So So, let's
1: talk about some of the things in the box that we can have a physical experience with.
7: Absolutely. Uh, So one of the the pieces is that everybody sort of gets an awesome beverage or a snack from small businesses who are doing great things in terms of sourcing ethically and sustainably across Mm -hmm. the U.S. So we've got some great leaders and people who are creating great products. Mm -hmm. I think you are holding and checking out Jacobson Salty Classic Caramels, which are just kind of ridiculously delicious. Yep, they are. I wouldn't encourage uh, enjoying a caramel while having a conversation necessarily. This is something you want to do on your own. But you actually, like, you get the sense of how awesome they are as a company as you have something as simple as a caramel. Then we have some objects that we use to encourage building great habits for yourself while you work from home. Mm -hmm. A couple examples are, are this really great time cube that is a way to get off your phone and actually, uh, roll it. It's, it's it's a time cube that you can kind of turn over on your desk and it has different times on it. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes. And it's a way to do something as simple as take five minutes to yourself to really just get away from your electronics. Uh One of the things we encourage people to do through the cooler program are to to do personal resilience activities. So if you take the dice, uh, the time cube, you turn it to five minutes, it's really a way to just let yourself step back and actually just do a breathing exercise or be quiet in your mind, have a meditation for five minutes. And we all know we can't really do that with our phones because we end up jumping on our phones and then we're stuck there.
1: <laughs> and then you so, know you, you go on Twitter, you doom scroll. And then an hour is gone.
7: Yeah, and then you're not relaxed. So I want to talk about the
1: Do Something Dice. Can we talk about these? Because I don't
7: want to run out of time. Absolutely. The Do Something Dice is another object that is um, in one of our featured boxes. Mm -hmm. Four great dice that help you think about different activities that you can do. And traditionally, you know, we do these around town. But the notion with the Do Something Dice in our cooler box is that, you take the dice, you roll it, and you think creatively and get outside of your head. Mm-hmm. Around, how can we do something that we do normally, but in a fun and new creative way? Right. So, it
0: sounds like yeah. you're dropping oysters is what it sounds like. When well,
1: eating. I'm not. I'm rolling the dice.
0: Did you roll the food dice?
1: I did. Okay. And I've got ice cream.
7: You've got ice cream. Okay. So one of the notions here is this is something you can do on your own to create a new experience for yourself personally, or we can even have fun with this with our colleagues or peers like now. So one of the things we could do is I've been messing around with just making quick ice cream at home, ice cream mm-hmm. air quotes, actually with a blender using yogurt and fresh fruit. And then basically just blending it and freezing it. But this is not something I did before. I've been, I don't know, this time has made me dig into my refrigerator in a little bit of a different way and just try to do fun new things. Right. One of the things with these dice that we encourage is how can you do something fun with recipes that you haven't done before? And just like really expand your mind and think about something new to do. But another thing that we can do is also sort of roll this dice and have a conversation with it. So Mm -hmm. You know, do you have really special memories around ice cream as a child or currently? Is there somewhere you love going in D.C. to experience delicious ice cream? Right. Where do you
1: go for ice cream? I, I love that idea. So, Jim, we have about a minute left. Tell everybody. So how do employers, you know, do they order one box? Is it a subscription? Like, how do people incorporate this into their new, uh, new work life?
7: So there's two ways that companies can support staff with this.
1: Okay, They can
7: select from the different boxes that we offer and they can send one box to a team. They can send it to the whole office. They okay. can send it to the corporate presence across the country if people are in different cities to create that shared experience. Mm-hmm. In addition, if this is a way that companies, well, we've seen sort of two things. Companies want to do it once or twice and sometimes they want to do it as a series. So we've actually developed the four boxes to be sent as a series and companies can send that each month Mm -hmm. or it can be sent quarterly as a way to create a repeated. And June, June,
0: what is the uh, uh, web address to find Cooler? The web
7: address is cooler.work, not .com, cooler.work. Great. And we have a really great Instagram presence where we share about the makers, which is at coolerwork. Excellent.
1: June, thank you so much. Sorry we had to rush through it there. Great 10 idea. Minutes really. Ten minutes goes by really fast. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. When we come back, we're taking a virtual trip to the Berkshires.
0: All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. And we are talking to Rob Bildner and his wife, uh, Elisa Spungen Bildner. And they wrote the Berkshire Farm Table Cookbook. And just yesterday found out that they were the winner of the New England Cookbook of the Year Award. Pretty <laughs> So Congratulations! Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And they're from a part of this world that I hold dear to my heart, and that's the Berkshires, where I matriculated. Is that a dirty word? I don't know, but exactly I matriculated that. at UMass, and they're from not far, you know, not far away. So, guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Thank
1: you. So we have you guys on to talk about this book, the Berkshires Farm Table Cookbook. It's a glorious cookbook that really incorporates your love of of uh, of where you live the farmers who provide the food there, but this was a real labor of love. It's not like you just picked up the phone and called a couple of farmers and got some recipes and put it together in a little book. Um, Tell us about how this came together.
3: Sure. I'm laughing, Yeah, as brief as possible. I'm laughing because we actually thought when we first started this uh, about six, seven years ago, that we would do exactly that. We would pick up the phone, (laughs) although as a journalist, you don't really just pick up the phone and, um, and, and call a bunch of farmers. But we found out that farmers really don't have the time to do elaborate recipes. And so our recipes, we have 125 recipes. They're inspired by what the farmers grow or raise or what the farmers may have told us in interviews. Um, and they're to, they're, the idea is to reflect, you know, the bounty of this area.
5: Yeah. And I'll just add, we were inspired by our son who was a uh, farmer, he was actually farming our property, and he introduced us to many local farmers at the farmer's market. So that's how we got to know them.
1: Well, so I, you know, I read, I read your book. So, uh, and your son is Rafi? Rafi, Rafi. yeah. Rafi, so, but you sort of inspired him because you have a, a, you're both in the, you were already in the food world. You weren't on the restaurant side, you were on the vendor side. So, I mean, you, it's all sort of symbiotic, right?
5: Uh, totally, yeah. We, uh, I'm third generation in the food business, and mm-hmm. I started a bunch of food companies, food distribution companies. Lisa ran one of them as well. So yes, he, he grew up in the food business, and it's just mm-hmm. in our DNA. So when we met these farmers, we already connected with them. We knew what was involved in getting food uh, to the market and, re- and you know really inspired by them. So- well- yeah. I'm
1: sorry. Well, I think, you know, especially since we're in a pandemic now, you know, food insecurity discussion and what's happening with farmers right now, like uh, your book couldn't be more important right now because so many farmers are struggling who get food specifically to restaurants and sort of elevating the farmer and showcasing the work they do is so important right now. Right. So even though this was a labor of love for six years, it couldn't be more important. At the moment,
0: their supply chain is all screwed up because the restaurants are closed. Right. So, yeah.
1: Talk about the research that went into, like, the farmers that you you highlighted in this book.
5: Yes. So we met 42 uh, farmers and chefs. We interviewed them. We I'd say we became friends with many of them, Mm -hmm. and you know, not an easy task to get to know farmers. They don't always call you back. They're very busy. But uh-huh. we really tried to dig into what inspired them. Why are they doing this? You know, you don't make a lot of money as a farmer. Uh-huh. They're really passionate about healthy food, growing sustainably in many cases, about the environment. And so that's what, you know, that's how we dug in. And, it, you know, we just dug into it. We got to know then I did the photography. Um, the photo and it's day. beautiful.
1: It really is.
5: Thank you so much. Lisa, you want to talk about the recipes?
3: Well, because what was really important for us as we started to get, you know, inspired by what the farmers grew, etc., was to create recipes that are very accessible recipes, recipes that are pretty easy to do. The idea is to showcase the ingredients, to showcase what it means to use something local and how it influences your recipe and and or your food and makes it you know, fantastic. And that's really the whole philosophy. There's like, there's one recipe I can think of that's probably a little more complicated, but most of them are extremely simple and that's so our philosophy. The farmers
0: <laughs> gave you their recipes and then you yeah. embellished, is that what happened? No, uh,
5: we actually, uh, we have a collaborator, Chef Brian Alberg, a uh, very well-known chef in the Berkshires. Mm-hmm. And Brian actually developed the recipes based on what the farmers grew, uh, grow, and what they, kind of their, kind of some of their favorite dishes. But many farmers we met just don't have the time to do a lot of cooking on their own. Well, well, no, it
0: doesn't.
1: Honestly, don't you think that? Means, I mean, they're farming, so just because they're they're pulling the carrots out of the yard or herding, you know, the sheep or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're chefs. I mean, I don't know why one <laughs> and one is supposed to equal two there. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So Nikki,
3: I'm sorry we didn't speak to you before we started this project <laughs> because it would have saved us a lot of time because we go to each of these chefs. We'd spent, we the most incredible time with chefs. I'm sorry. Farmers. 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 We'd spent yeah. the most incredible time with them, like sitting in their fields, talking to them so, for an hour. Um, Can you tell us like, your favorite recipe? And there'd be really uh, you know like they, yeah. they're they're working 24/ yeah. 7 and then it really got to us and we started to understand what a farmer's life was like yeah. and that they are working 24/ 7 and that they go three quarters of the year really mostly farming and then planning and that it's really a full-time absolutely full-time job beyond what we can possibly conceive of they were not going to give us the recipes our collaboration with Brian uh, auberg was terrific and we have a uh, some wonderful recipe testers and people who work together to create these recipes. So we're really proud of where we came out with the recipes. But no, they were not the farmer's recipes.
1: Well, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And you know, there's a really, um, there's a dire quote in the book that I want to bring up about uh, farming in this country, Um, Hawthorne Valley Farm. Um, He said that uh, only 2% of the US population is involved in growing food. And I, that is incredible when you think about walking into a grocery store and seeing all this food. Mm. And I I just I I feel like that message is it needs to be amplified even louder
5: because
0: that number is growing, though. It's not going the other way anymore. It was when we started. Well,
5: Well, I'll tell you, actually, one of our challenges, most farmers are on the older side. Um, Mm -hmm. The average age is 60 plus. So as Nikki points out, the challenge we have is how do we get more younger people into farming to kind of take over? That's one thing. Two, a lot of the farming that's going on is very concentrated. We're talking about massive agribusiness, which is why we really, our book is all about buying local, know your farmer, supporting these folks so they're able to stay in business and hopefully pass it on to to other generations. Your
0: example is really the best. Um, uh, You buy a farm and you say to your son, Rappi, get your butt outside and start farming.
5: Yeah.
0: right. You've got five five kids. That way, I uh, we're going to send our kids out back right now and get, get them, we're ready for
5: them we need buffers. But but I want to be
3: want to clarify um, we ha- we've been in the Berkshires for many many years and we had this property that wasn't a farm it's just it's a house with us you know a bunch of uh, some land, land some land and Rafi because he grew up in a very food oriented family took a look at it and said god I really want to grow fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables he did he had a roadside stand in front of the house which sometimes bothered our neighbors and sometimes made them happy um right. and he would sell his his stuff you know along the road then when he was in high school, he was a junior in high school, he took a month a month month, he took a semester and went to the mountain school in Virgil Vermont, which teaches high school juniors how to farm, and from that became a farmer. So he came back and then really started farming our property. And yeah. that's how we got to know what it was like to be a farmer.
1: That's a that is an amazing story. I mean, what initiative at such a young mm. age. Yes. And so but now that you've met these other farmers, were there farmers that you met as you were doing your research for your book that you were, like, just blown away by their story? Was there a couple stories that you were like, I don't know how yeah, to, or how do I share this?
5: Totally. Well, we tell their stories. And the book, as you point out, is really, it's a cookbook, 125 recipes. And then it's, 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 like, it's like the stories of these folks. And I think that's why we were very honored to get the cookbook of the year for New England. But two stories quickly extraordinary couple, the Salinettis. um, uh, They went to UMass, by the way, David, your alma mater. I'm sorry, my uh, condolences
0: uh, to them. Uh.
5: They're amazing. (laughs) Got a great education in horticulture, agronomy, came back to the Berkshires, got this beautiful piece of land in the Tiringham Valley, which is really magical, and literally are planting most extraordinary uh, uh, carrots and tomatoes on little more than an acre of land, intensively tilling the land, everything by hand. Their kids are involved, we're part of their CSA. Um, It's called Woven Roots, they were featured actually on the CBS Saturday morning show. Yeah,
0: we saw that piece, can you, can you, Grow enough produce on an acre of land to like to they make. actually, make.
3: they actually have, yeah, they actually have several several acres, but they only use a, a portion of them, which yeah. is true of most yeah. farmers. Um, and and if you speak to Jen Selenetti, um, as we have to, both to Jen and Pete, she will tell you. They have worked it out really mathematically that they can so intensively cultivate that land. They know exactly how much they have to produce to satisfy all of their CSA customers. They work it out. It's you know, one of the things people don't, I think, realize about farming is that it's to be a farmer, you don't just like stick a few seeds in the ground, say hi, hi, that's wonderful, and you know, walk away. Mm -hmm. The amount of thought planning, it's it's really being a CEO of a a major, a major concern.
1: Without control. Without, I mean, you know, you can't control Uh, the weather. You know, you can't control, you know, bugs. I mean, stuff happens in farming. It's a,
5: it's a. And now, and now, totally in pandemics, it's really, in in some ways, you wonder why are people doing this? And that's what we're so intrigued by the book. And we say they're committed, there's a spirituality, there's lifestyle, they really care. But they, you, they, you can, you can make it. The Salonettis have almost 300 members in their CSA. But I think it's really important
3: for people to understand why it's important to buy local why it's important to support these guys and by guys I mean men and women um, as opposed to large commercial agriculture. There are so many reasons. And I think people aren't aware of it all the time when they walk into a supermarket. So there's taste, there's nutrition. You're not schlepping, frankly, the food, you know, across country to DC or wherever you're you're, you're bringing it to. You're supporting community. You're you're helping um, delay development, you know, of green space. I could go on and on and people don't realize this. So I think it's important to no, know.
1: It's a very, very important point. Um, you know, listen, we have you know, the local farmer's market on, at the beginning of every show, talking about what's at market, because we believe that it's important. But, you know, convenience for people, people get lost in in their day-to-day life. But I, I really feel that now, given what's happening in this country, now more than ever, um, later in the show, we have a duck farmer coming on okay. and, you know, he does picking duck and um, he sells to restaurants. So he's got all this duck. So the question is, is how do we, how do we as a community, community help him survive during this time so that right. yeah. a in a couple of months, he could serve his duck, right? Yeah.
0: So he doesn't have to duck his creditors.
1: Okay. <laughs> you can tell <laughs> and, that joke when he's on air.
5: No. Yeah. So I'll say we have a, you know, a great website and social media, Instagram, Berkshires and beyond.com which mm-hmm. lists all these farms and lists ways that folks can buy local. So we definitely encourage the audience to to, to visit us. And it and doesn't matter
3: it. where you are. DC, Berkshires, it's the same thing. Yeah. Buy local, know your farmer.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you both for joining us this morning. Yeah. Congratulations on all the success. And once again, it's the Berkshire Farm Table Cookbook. Amazing recipes, easy to do, but honestly, the the stories of the farmers are, are really worth a read and will really inspire you to get to know your farmer and at the very least get to your farmer's market. So thanks uh, so much for joining wait, us one question.
5: I assume on Amazon, yes? Absolutely, but right. also bookshop.org. Oh, you, can you can Barnes press the button, Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can find a lot of places to buy it. Awesome, yeah. of Great. Thank, Thank you so much, it. really appreciate it. Thank okay.
1: you so much. This is David and Nikki Nellis. When we come back, we are gonna be talking duck.
5: All
0: right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we have an esteemed guest on with us next. It's Joey Jurgowitz. Uh, he's the principal of Joe Jurgowitz and Son, one of the leading picking duck suppliers across North America. Joe, how are you? Very good. Thanks for having me on today.
1: So, Joe, I mean, you and I were introduced by Chef Scott Bruno of Chico. Well, that's a that's a he, real hit
0: against you right there.
1: <laughs> I mean, I can't believe we even continue the conversation after that introduction. But, um, but you know, you guys have a relationship, so let's talk a little bit about how you got into duck farming.
8: Oh, I, I guess I can I can always say I didn't really have a choice. I was born into it mm-hmm. on it, but uh, but it is something I have a really big passion for. Um, I guess uh, taking a a long history and making it short, it was uh, my great-grandfather started it in 1933, um, his duck farm in Long Island, New York. That used to be like the the capital of, I guess, the United States or even say the world of duck farming.
0: So was that born out of prosperity? Well, is it because of the Depression? Is that what sent him into duck farming?
8: Yeah, he was. He was originally him and my great grandma. This is a stories I I was told that they were in the. uh, They had a couple pool halls, and he was in some some rough businesses. We'll call it, and uh, it was kind of the choice to go become a duck farmer or uh, find a new wife. So he uh, he chose the right way. Okay. On it, and then from there, he had uh, three sons. One of them ended up being uh, was my grandfather, uh, Joe Joe Senior. On it, and uh, he uh, eventually sold out for. family reasons, I, the, the farm really wasn't big enough for three brothers. He retired. My father was in veterinary school, uh, Joe Jr., and he uh, went to Cornell, and uh, after he graduated, he didn't really want to go work for anyone else. He's like, I want to start my own business. I grew up in ducks, always wanted this. This is in my blood, so we ended up here in a beautiful Pennsylvania, right at, right at, right in between Allentown and Reading.
1: Okay, so for people who don't know what a duck farm is, like how do you pick the ducks? How does it work? Let's get a little bit of how it works.
8: Ooh, we're still trying to figure that out too sometimes. But, <laughs>
1: okay.
8: uh, we do. So our farm is we are unique. We are, first of all, we're the only farm, poultry farm in the United States, that is owned and operated by a veterinarian. So animal husbandry is definitely on the on the forefront of everything that we do. And we really see a huge correlation from the beginning for all the way from the egg all the way to the product showing up in a kitchen and anywhere in the United States mm-hmm. uh, so we, we are vertically integrated we do everything from our own genetics on it we have our own uh, we pick up eggs every single morning we have an amazing we, I mean they're essential workers every single day doesn't matter if it's Christmas or Thanksgiving they're picking eggs up at 5 in the morning uh, go to our hatchery we hatch our eggs we raise them we process and we distribute to uh, almost every major uh, Chinatown uh, Michelin star restaurant in the United States, and we export to you name the country, we, uh, we we probably have a presence there.
1: So but the ducks that you're raising specifically, they're called Peking ducks?
8: Yes. So it's a it's a white Peking duck on it. So it's the, just that it's without the G. With the G, it's the dish then on it. And it is originally from my great grandfather's stock. And we kept it all, all the way till now. So we like to say that our duck ha- is a real duck. And what I mean by that is, it has the perfect meat-to-fat ratio. We never bred the fat out of it, so we have this really, really good thick skin layer. So when you cook it the Peking style with a J, it comes out absolutely perfect. That nice mahogany skin, the meat isn't dry. A lot of uh, the other ducks in the world, or especially in the United States, we like to say they're they're chickenized. Uh, so they're all still white Peking ducks, but the 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 what the, the makeup of it, that meat to meat to fat ratio is is a lot different.
0: Now, I've got a question out of left field. Are ducks smart or stupid?
8: I, I, <laughs> I I'd say they're actually fairly smart. They uh I mean they they can start walking from the minute they're hatched. Us humans, we it
1: takes us take some time about a year to figure that out. <laughs> With your farm, you're as you said, like you deliver to restaurants that are doing a very specific dish primarily, right? So with the pandemic, how did you, what did you do? Like, this is not something your family has dealt with, right? Or maybe your great grandfather did.
8: No, it's, I mean, it, it was definitely an incredible learning experience. And we're, we're, we're still learning through it. So we don't go directly to restaurants. We do with some. For example, Scott Jern at We we do still have that great relationship. And he has a standing order every single week. So we do go to him direct. A lot of them go through distributors, but with this pandemic and a lot of the restaurants closing also did these distributors. So the restaurants that were open, serve and had a had a very difficult time trying to get our product. So we uh, luckily we had a a platform built already for direct to consumer for homes and some chefs. And we really ramped that up and were able to uh, go right to restaurants. And we are very thankful for those restaurants that that stayed open during this time.
0: Well, let's talk about the consumers. How hard is it to cook a duck at home?
8: It is probably one of the easier meats to cook. It definitely but, has uh, a huge beer factor on but
1: it. I, People are afraid of cooking duck at home. There I know. Is that Fat, like you, talk, you said fat. So I'll get right into mm-hmm. it. Right. So actually, right before you were on, we were talking to um, two cookbook authors. They did the Berkshire Farm Table Cookbook. So they, it's all farmer. Um, I was
8: checking that out. That looks awesome. Yeah, it's, cool. it's yeah. really
1: amazing. But you know, so there's this like false narrative about cooking duck at home, that the fat is too hard to do. Why is that? Where would that come from?
8: It's because it's one of the biggest, I'll call it the sins in the culinary world. We keep calling it, say we'll just go the simple American style of pan-seared duck breast. The last thing you ever want to do with a duck breast is sear it on
3: it. Okay. What,
8: the, the best way to cook it is to salt and pepper, skin side down, and start the duck breast in a cold pan. Everyone starts in a hot pan, and you can never render that fat and allow that fat to go back up through the meat. So, so if you start in a up, cold pan,
1: slow and low.
8: Yep, exactly. And and zero heat from the beginning. So so heat the duck with that pan, and you will literally render that fat back up through the meat, and it will naturally puff up the duck breast too, and it tenderizes it, and it's with is taking that, as much bias as possible out of it. The any other piece of protein.
0: Is that information somewhere on your website? I didn't see that. That'd be a good thing to it put is. up there.
8: It is. We we are we have with this new firm that we did hire we are we are a little behind the game. We always we're duck farmers. We're not we're not the quickest or the smartest. So that will be up there in the in the next month on there.
1: Well, I so that's very interesting because I think when people think about like confit duck confit, right? That's that is a constant sort of using the fat to soften the meat, right? But again, people are, are a little um, fearful of it because it seems so arduous. But it really isn't.
8: No, it's 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 very simple. I have three brothers. And instead of going out for, a say, a late night snack at 1 in the morning or something, we were definitely pan-searing duck breasts in our apartments in whatever city we were in. So if, right. if we can pull it off at of that time of night, anyone can do it.
1: And what about for people who, like, Let's talk about Peking, K-I-N-G, duck, since it is and duck. Um, is that something people can do at home?
8: They can on it. And that and that is also a very simple thing to do, too. So we, during the pandemic, because a lot of people couldn't go out and get their takeout from Chinatown or from a restaurant like Chico, the Peking duck, we created a uh, DIY Peking duck. And it is on our website. What we did was we take a duck. We used whole duck's. And we dry age them, and we dip them in a maltose solution. And literally, when you cook them in your house for, I believe it's a little less than two hours, it comes out like a perfect peaking duck. And then we took it another step uh, further because we realized a lot of consumers—it's amazing how many people don't know how to carve a piece of meat. Oh. So we took a, so we took a half a duck. I mean, it's a semi-boneless half. All it has is a leg and a wing in it. And we did the exact same process, and it came out even better. Cool. and you can just take it and cook it and you just chop it up just like you'd see in chinatown and it's one of the simplest thing and it comes with a bao bun and some hoisin sauce it's a, a really really cool product
1: oh you my go? god that is a really cool product so for all of you out there who normally go to chinatown on christmas like us good jews do we keep <laughs> <laughs> we all go for picking duck on christmas day you can do it at home. So uh, Joey, tell everybody how they can like find you online and um, order duck or order this duck box. Like, How do we do it?
8: So very simple. Our website is tastyduck.com. Mm-hmm. The reason no one can spell Jurgowitz, and we figured we're, we're one of the best taste ones. ones. so it's very simple. So tastyduck.com. We have our store, and it has every part of the duck you could ever imagine from duck feet to a duck tongue, the duck breast to these awesome meal kits we created and, of course, the, the DIY Peking Duck.
1: Great. Excellent. You thank that. you.
8: And thank also, and if you. you're in the D.C. area, uh, Chico for Christmas Eve is doing pre-orders right now for a to-go Peking Duck meal. And it, yes. I was on the phone with uh, Chef Scott. It's amazing.
1: We are um, definitely looking forward to it. So, uh, Joey, thank you so much for your time today. And I really appreciate sort of the education on how to cook duck and take the fear out of it, because there is that sort of narrative out there. Um, And everybody should check out his website and find out about how to cook duck at home. David, you want to say something? Well, I just
0: think Joey gets props for not ducking the hard questions. So way to go, Joey. (laughs)
1: Thank you.
0: I'll take it. I'll take it.
1: Anyway, we want to thank you all for joining us today on Foodie and the Beast. What a really delicious show. So much good information out there. Obviously, now more than ever, you need to support local farmers, farmers markets. We talked with Deb from Central Farm Markets. We had the uh, Berkshire Farm Table Cookbook on. There's this really great product called Cooler, a great way to integrate uh, your employees who are stuck at home because of the pandemic. And obviously, Blood, Sweat, and Tears Vodka um, out of Eugene, Oregon. All great things that you can taste, try, and support during this time. Um, Please take a look at the thelistareyouwantit.com. We're listing every Christmas offering going on in the DC metro area. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's is coming in. And don't forget right now, shop local. All the beer places, all the distilleries, places like Salt and Sundry, everybody is trying their best to raise the voices of craft artisans in the DC metro area. And it really is up to you to support them. So uh, thelistorywanna.com at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, that's at Nikki Nellis. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for everything you heard here today. Wear a mask, use sanitizer, and social distance. Be safe and have a delicious week.